You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Panic in the streets of Mexico City. Several buildings destroyed by a major earthquake and reports of survivors trapped in the rubble. Good evening and thanks very much for joining us. Startling video out of Mexico tonight after the magnitude 7.1 quake struck coincidentally while many were practicing an earthquake drill. The epicenter was in the state of Puebla, about 128 kilometers southeast of Mexico City. It comes less than two weeks after another major quake killed 100 people and 32 years to the day after the devastating earthquake of 1985. The powerful earthquake triggering a wave of panic, thousands running for their lives. Screams filling the streets of Mexico City as buildings break apart and fear floods the capital. The 7.1 tremor bringing the region to its knees. Buildings that didn't collapse swayed across the skyline of one of the world's biggest cities. Plumes of dust rising from where structures used to stand. This man says we're trying to clear the streets so ambulances and firefighters can get through. Now the desperate race for rescues, removing debris from where many could still be buried alive. The death toll here uncertain, but the scene is grim. This woman says it was terrifying. With first responders scouring schools and hospitals, this country is on shaky ground. The epicenter near the Puebla state town of Raboso, 76 miles southeast of Mexico City. Earlier this month, an 8.1 earthquake killed 100 people in southern Mexico. Today's tremor comes exactly 32 years after the 1985 earthquake that killed as many as 10,000. In a country that uses an early warning system for earthquakes, today there was none. Because the soil in Mexico City amplifies the shaking by a factor of 100 or more, they get a lot of damage from faraway earthquakes. Tonight, Mexico was in a state of emergency, a region in peril now bracing for powerful aftershocks. A routine walk in the woods turned into a horrifying ordeal for a dog owner in Squamish. She was out with her pack yesterday when she heard a gunshot and saw one of her dogs stumble and die right in front of her. Ramina Day is in Squamish tonight with more on this tragic story. And a warning, some of the details here are disturbing. Ramina, explain to us what happened here. Well, Chris, a hunter apparently thought that the dog was a wolf, so he opened fire. The dog's owner is telling us that that is ridiculous. He should have known better. And she wants the laws changed to protect the public. Come on. Good girl. Valeria Calderoni is attempting to get back to work at her rehabilitation center. But it's impossible because a member of her family is gone. Gentle. Nice. I don't know what to say. She was everything. She was uh, our spokes dog. I could do my job because I had her. Calderoni and Kauru were on a hike near Lucille Lake Monday, the area north of Squamish, popular amongst hunters and the general public. Kauru was with a pack of dogs. She was not on a leash, but she was wearing a collar when she was hit by a bullet. And all of a sudden I heard bang, so loud, like my entire body crushed down. I, I looked up 
I saw that Kauru had been shot. Calderoni estimates the hunter was about 20 feet away. She says he thought Kauru was a wolf. My dog is really white. She, uh, she was wearing a collar. Uh, we weren't by ourselves. That's like saying he should be shot because he looks like a deer. You know, like he did not assess the situation. Calderoni claims Kauru was not aggressive and the hunter was not in any danger. The BC Conservation Officer Service is not releasing the hunter's name or any details. So at this point we are investiga investigating the file. We're making sure we cover everything. And as I said, everyone is very cooperative, so we don't foresee any hurdles. It's unclear whether the hunter will face any charges. Calderoni says the laws have to change in this area to protect the public. There shouldn't even be any hunting allowed in that area. There's so many people there. So sad. Romina, what can you tell us about her campaign to change the laws? Well, they're going to be pressuring government officials to actually put in a no-hunting zone 400 metres from the highway between Squamish and Whistler. Calderoni is saying it's just too dangerous. And something similar already exists, she says, in between North Vancouver and the entrance to Squamish. So they want to see the same thing implemented out here. Chris. All right, we'll see if she gets the support for it. Thanks, Romina. The sound of gunfire heard in a Vancouver neighborhood overnight. The 911 call started coming in just after 12.30 last night. Reports of shots fired in the area of East 57th and Main. Officers searched the area and spoke with several people, but were unable to confirm that shots were actually fired. However, when they returned this morning at around 10.30, they discovered a number of parked vehicles with bullet holes, and they found a gun and shell casings. Bullets have to stop somewhere. We were lucky this time that no one was injured and no one's been reported to injured. Our officers are taking this very serious and we're putting lots of resources into this to identify who's responsible and to hold them accountable. While it is still early in the investigation, the VPD believes this to be a targeted shooting. And police are looking for video surveillance in connection with a disturbing assault on a teenager in New Westminster. Police say the teen was walking with friends, kicking a soccer ball when the ball rolled into the road and hit an approaching vehicle. The passenger got out and allegedly attacked the teen with a baseball bat. The beating bad enough, the teen needed to go to hospital. And it could have been much worse if not for the quick action of witnesses. This investigation uh, is very concerning. This appears to be a, a gross overreaction uh, based on the facts and information that we've received. Um, and we certainly want to thank uh, the witnesses and people for getting involved and helping prevent this attack from being worse than it was. Police are looking for more witnesses to come forward. The victim suffered serious soft tissue damage. I hit identifying the victim of a fatal shooting in Richmond yesterday. It happened just after 3 a.m. in the 7500 block of Bridge Street. Investigators say 41-year-old Joseph Lucien de Carvalho of Richmond died at the scene. He was known to police. Yes, he was related to gang activity. However, to say that's the motive for this homicide is premature at this time. We currently don't have any suspects, no. Anyone with information is asked to contact uh, their local police. Investigators say a triple stabbing in Burnaby that's left one man dead was not targeted. It happened outside a sushi restaurant. Jeff Hastings is there for us. And Jeff, police say the public is not at risk. 
That's right, Sophie. Not targeted, the words that RCMP were using earlier today when they spoke about this incident. They say the public isn't at risk, and presumably that's because a suspect is in custody. Behind the bushes, beside a busy Burnaby Road, a homicide investigation is in its infancy. Three victims were located suffering from stab wounds. Two of the victims received non-life-threatening injuries, while the third victim succumbed to their injuries. A triple stabbing outside a restaurant. Late Monday evening, a commotion heard throughout the neighborhood. It's hard to make out what they're saying, you know, and I'm not really listening for anything. Were they screaming? I wouldn't call it screaming. They just were hollering, sort of. Next thing you know, I just heard the sirens. And the next thing all the police were here, and then the ambulance, and then the, I guess it was the coroner's wagon, I guess. Bloodied survivors, 37 and 38 years old. The dead man is from Burnaby. He was 38, and the suspect in custody, a 36-year-old Surrey man. At this time, police believe the attack was not targeted, but public safety is not a concern. The dynamic between the suspect and the victims, uh, the investigation into that is ongoing. Uh, We understand that there was an altercation leading up to the homicide last night that um, has eliminated any kind of random component. One man's trash as eye hits evidence, investigators straying well beyond the immediate area where the deceased lay. The convenience store across the street where an arrest was made is especially important. Police aren't saying any more publicly about the four men. Their work, though, is far from done. This investigation is still in its infancy, and we're working to gather the uh, immediate evidence in the periphery of the homicide. So witnesses describe hearing screaming, but there might be really good, really impartial witnesses, Sophie. There are cameras around the side of the restaurant, at least one right above uh, what appears to be the crime scene where the incident occurred. So police may have uh, some excellent evidence as they proceed with their investigation. All right. All right. Thanks for that. Premier John Horgan and Green Party leader Andrew Weaver on the hot seat today defending the use of taxpayer dollars to subsidize political parties. Keith Baldry joins us from Victoria Now with more on this. Keith, it's obviously not what Horgan campaigned for. In fact, he said that it was never on their radar. So how does he justify it now? Well, basically, it didn't really provide a clear answer today. This is what the fuss is all about, Bill 3, the Election Amendment Act. A pretty raucous question period. The Premier, in that form, did not really answer the opposition's questions. Uh, got a little closer to it uh, with meeting with us, the Press Gallery reporters out in the hallway, pointing out that really this is a transition program. That is, provide a transition from getting away from corporate and union and big individual donations uh, to more, uh, basically, individual donations. But there has to be a bridging scheme, which is why $30 million ear- mark for the political parties over the next four years. Here's John Horgan and Andrew Weaver, the Green Party leader, says he wasn't pushing for this, but he'll take it. I'm I'm owning up to what I said before the campaign. I don't want you to think that I'm running away from this because I'm not, but it is not what you're making it out to be. This is a transition fund and will be gone at the end of this mandate. We support the notion of the transitional funding. We did not bring that to the table. We support the idea of building upon best practices. Other jurisdictions, most other provinces, have something like this. And, and, as it, and like was done federally, the whole idea is to move towards a rebate system. So both of them on the defensive today, pointing out uh, that other provinces do have similar schemes, at least some of them do, and also that the the taxpayer-funded money will take the place of about $65 million of money that would come from corporations, unions, and big donors. That's their defense. We'll see if the voters like it at some point in the mandate. And we'll see how it changes campaigns moving forward, too. I guess we'll see that, too. Thanks a lot, Keith.
A motion to ban balloons in Vancouver City Parks was defeated by the Park Board last night. And tonight, there are calls to deal with a more pressing issue. The increasing number of needles found in green spaces. More than 1,400 in the past eight months alone. Garbage is also a big problem. Nadia Stewart tells us what's being done about it. Even with an increase in patrols at Andy Livingston Park, an old problem still proves difficult to manage. One that spread to other downtown parks, prompting concern among parents. They're also um, concerned that, you know, there might be an incident where a child picks up a needle and gets pricked. I think it's past the point where we can talk about it. I think we need some action. The NPA Park Board Commissioner says staff picked up over 400 needles in July, and that's only here in Andy Livingston. At least one resident tells Global News the situation has improved slightly, but the problem persists. According to Cooper, park rangers also have to sweep Creekside Park near Olympic Village every morning before kids come here to play. It's why he says more resources are needed to tackle a growing problem. I'm proposing that we have 24-hour coverage in our downtown parks where the, uh, the issue is the greatest and ramping up our ability to patrol our parks so that it's safe for all users. That request for more money will soon be brought before City Council by NPA Councillor George Affleck. I don't think it's intentional that they just leave them there. I think it's just like they drop them. But advocates say more education for drug users could help. Education as well as like making them aware like where they are and try and keep it clean and safe for the next person that comes around. In an email to Global News, the city says it has been raising awareness, but there's still been a significant increase in calls to 311 regarding dirty needles. A pilot project is now underway to have them picked up seven days a week in Olympic Village. We have 240 parks, including 1,000-acre Stanley Park, so that's a lot of park to cover, and we need some, we need some help and resources to do that properly. Nadia Stewart, Global News. A petty thief puts himself and others in grave danger, all in an attempt to steal some gasoline. His reckless actions were caught on security camera, but only after the car owners drove it and discovered the damage he caused. Why they're coming forward with the video now in just over a minute. We will have no choice but to totally destroy North Korea. The United Nations stunned by that warning from U.S. President Trump. Will it help or hurt him in the long run? That's later on the news hour. And here comes another Category 5 hurricane. Why Maria could finish off communities already devastated by Irma. But first, police in Burnaby are looking for a very determined but reckless thief caught on a home security camera stealing gas from a vehicle. He used a cordless drill to put a hole in the tank. And as Tanya Beja explains, the family only found out when they became stranded on the side of the road. In the darkness of a quiet Burnaby neighborhood, a man gets to work, armed with a bucket, flashlight and drill. He drilled a hole in the gas tank. It's so dangerous, right? Last Tuesday, the Owls returned from a trip to Montreal. Eva went to work the next day, but on her drive home with her brother-in-law, the car stopped suddenly. I have no clue why it stopped because it seemed getting uh, running well. Eventually, we determined that the gas was low. We could see that the, there was really no gas in the car. They filled up a jerry can with enough gas to get going again, but barely made it around the corner. A uh, passerby would, would stop us and say, hey, uh, something's leaking out of your car. Um, you know, it, it, I saw it, you know, as you, as you were uh, turning. 
um, there's something really dripping out there. So we, we, we took a look. We stuck our heads underneath the car, and the gas was just pouring out. Firefighters called in to deal with the mess, warned them someone might have tampered with the gas tank. So the owls checked their surveillance video. So he takes the drills out and then looking for the tank. Sure enough, around midnight, September 8th, someone is captured on camera targeting their SUV. And he noticed the car coming. And then uh, so he's like, took it and then go around the car. The leak destroyed their lawn. The owls now relying on a rental vehicle because their own is in for more than $2,000 worth of repairs. Uh, it's frustrating, right? For 20 bucks of gas, it costs quite a bit of damage. So, um. Burnaby RCMP say they are investigating and no arrests have yet been made. The owls want any would-be gas thieves to know the neighborhood is watching. Tanya Beja, Global News. The rental landscape could change drastically across B.C. with the new NDP government fulfilling a promise to shake up the system. Victoria is establishing a new office that will actually enforce the Residential Tenancy Act. Aaron MacArthur explains what it will mean for renters and for landlords. The unit we're in right now is a one-bedroom. It's 495 square feet. Take a look inside the Bristol. The first rental-specific building in Cloverdale in nearly 40 years. To say there's pent-up demand for decent, reasonably priced places to rent is an understatement. We are well oversubscribed and we could have leased this building out two to three times over. The lack of supply means too often tenants are getting squeezed into marginal places with suspect landlords. But when the tenants needed help from the residential tenancy branch, it was unavailable. The budget cut under the Liberal government, and staff simply overwhelmed at the volume. The NDP campaigned on making life more affordable, and more money was promised for the RTB. We took a look at what needed to happen, so um, over the coming months, they're going to be hiring up to 30 people. It's a move tenant advocates and landlords say is badly needed, especially the announcement of a dedicated four-person enforcement team policing bad landlords. Up until now, there's been virtually no consequences for anyone who breaks the rules. The branch has existing powers under its legislation to issue administrative penalties, for instance, to conduct investigations and to even commence prosecutions under the Fence Act. And so far, it's only issued one administrative penalty in its history. You, know, you can pass all the laws you want in the world, but if you don't have a robust enforcement, uh, of those uh, those laws and regulations, and it's it's kind of lost. With demand as high as it is, and with governments finally looking to give developers incentives, purpose-built rental starting to gain ground. One more solution for the affordability crisis in Metro Vancouver. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Get ready for a flood of cheap cars after major damage from Hurricanes Harvey and Irma. How to spot a waterlogged lemon before you buy. Also tonight, civilian spectators get a little too close to the action during Russian war games. Well, we finally know how many Canadians were affected by that data breach at Equifax. The credit monitoring company says about 100,000 Canadians have had personal information compromised, including names, addresses, social insurance numbers, and in some cases, credit card accounts. Equifax says that it will notify you if you've been impacted and outline any steps you should take. 
A warning tonight from the Better Business Bureau for anyone who's in the market for a used car. Our Consumer Matters reporter, Andrew, joins us now. And, Ann, it's a buyer beware for used cars that come from any of these disaster zones, right? It's hard to believe we're even talking about this. Mm -hmm. Thanks, you two. Well, it turns out the flooding and devastation from the recent hurricanes could make buying a used car here in B.C. a much riskier proposition. We've all seen the images of flooded roads and damaged vehicles. Those cars are sold off by insurance companies for scrap and for parts, but the Better Business Bureau is warning some unscrupulous dealers will try to dry them out, maybe make some minor repairs, and sell them as fully functioning used vehicles. Perhaps more troubling, anyone who buys one of these vehicles might not discover the problem at first. And there's a lot of really uh, real concerns about vehicles like this because there's so much damage that water can do to, can do to today's um, uh, vehicles. There's so many electronics on board um, that you know that, that the corrosion and the rust, particularly from salt water, can play havoc on just about any system within a car. Now, here are some tips from the Better Business Bureau on how to make sure you don't buy one of those cars. Look for a musty odor, which might be partially covered up by a strong air freshener or shampoo. Look for upholstery that does not match or is brand new and water lines in the engine compartment. You should also check all lights and electrical systems, and it's always a good idea to have your vehicle inspected by a reliable mechanic. The final advice from the Better Business Bureau is familiar. If a deal seems too good to be true, it probably is. And we have much more on the story and more advice on what to look for on our website at globalnews.ca slash bc. And of course, if you have a consumer issue for me, there's my email address at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. All right. Thanks for that, Anne. Well, there goes the neighborhood. A home swallowed up in a Florida sinkhole. What might have caused it? Also, the lure of vaping is strong for young people, but are the reasons for its rise in popularity justified? Those stories next. A Russian military helicopter accidentally fired on spectators during war games in Western Russia. Russian state television says three people were injured and two vehicles destroyed. The spectators had been invited to watch the war games, which were also attended by Russian President Vladimir Putin. The joint Russia-Belarus military drills got underway last week and run through tomorrow. They're seen as a show of force by Russia. More evidence tonight that Donald Trump has no intention of toning down his rhetoric, taking a hard line today at the United Nations. The U.S. president telling the U.N. he would totally destroy North Korea if the U.S. is forced to defend itself. Even before the president's speech started, the diplomatic drama already had. North Korea's delegation walking out, leaving just this low-level official in the second row as the president, standing before 193 nations, threatened to wipe one of them off the map. The United States has great strength and patience, but if it is forced to defend itself or its allies, we will have no choice but to totally destroy North Korea. That moment met with gasps inside the room as President Trump, who often coins nicknames for his political opponents, followed up with a new one for Kim Jong-un. Rocket Man is on a suicide mission for himself and for his regime. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu nodding and clapping later when his closest ally slammed the Iranian nuclear deal. Frankly, 
That deal is an embarrassment to the United States, and I don't think you've heard the last of it. In the hardline speech, the president repeatedly stressed sovereignty, but he only once brought up Russia's intrusions in Ukraine and never mentioned Moscow's 2016 election interference. Instead, the president praised his own performance, then pushed others to adopt their versions of America first, his longtime campaign pledge. I will always put America first. Just like you, as the leaders of your countries, will always and should always put your countries first. It's a significant shift from past presidents who used this platform to promote U.S. values. He is the first American president since the 1920s to say to the rest of the world, you're on your own. And after his speech... I think it went very well. I said what I had to say. Already allies and adversaries hearing what they wanted to hear. Hurricane Maria has begun pounding the Virgin Islands and Puerto Rico with heavy rain. The Category 5 storm packing a knockout punch to parts of the Caribbean. Maria has already killed at least one person and left at least 150,000 homes without power in Guadeloupe and Martinique. About 40% of Guadeloupe has no electricity. We'll bring in meteorologist Christy Gordon now for more on Maria's strength and the track she's taking. Christy. Thanks, Chris. Maria's pressure is now lower than Irma ever was, making it the strongest hurricane to hit this region in over 80 years. The National Hurricane Center is actually calling the storm surge life-threatening, and it's going to continue to strengthen this evening as it heads towards the British and U.S. Virgin Islands with sustained winds up to 280 kilometers an hour. Then it will hit Puerto Rico, a direct uh, hit, the eye of the hurricane heading right over the island, equally as strong initially, but it will weaken as it heads over the island and towards Dominican Republic and Turks and Caicos, but still as a very powerful Category 4. All right. Thanks, Christy. Caught on video, a Florida home falls victim to a sinkhole. A camera on the ground and one up in a TV news helicopter, both rolling as part of the home collapses into the sinkhole. The hole started forming this morning and the homeowners had been scrambling to save as much as they could. The official cause isn't known, but it is thought this might be due to hurricane floodwaters. In Health Matters tonight, a new study that shows teenagers who use e-cigarettes are twice as likely to try tobacco has raised some troubling new questions about the growing popularity of vaping. As Linda Aylesworth reports, there's little to no information about what teens are actually inhaling. There's no denying the popularity of vaping. Over the last three years, in spite of increasing competition, business is booming at Thunderbird Vapes in Vancouver. I think overall the, uh, the vape business pretty much doubles every year for the last few years. Most of their customers are tobacco smokers trying to kick the habit or at least switch to one that isn't as dangerous to their health. But are e-cigarettes safe? A lot of people think that it is a very healthy or safe alternative to cigarette smoke. However, there's so much that we don't know yet. But the reason we struggle to quantify the risk reduction is because it takes a long time of using these products to get a sense of what actually happens. Dr. Kara is a smoking cessation specialist who's regularly asked if he recommends e-cigarettes particularly by those who would rather not go the proven nicotine patch or pill route. 
We know that the traditional cigarette will shorten the life of around half of those who, who use them. Um, E-cigarettes almost certainly don't carry that degree of risk. That's not to say there's no risk. What most health professionals, even some retailers, would like to see are government regulations that require producers of e-juice, as it's called, to prove they're producing safe products and list ingredients. As it stands now, it's largely up to the retailers to, uh, to research all of this, to look in, are they doing testing? Is it made in a, in a lab setting? There is an amendment to the Tobacco Act, Bill S-5, currently before the Senate, that if passed would further regulate the industry. But it won't answer the question, is vaping a safe and effective way to kick tobacco? I would like to see more research on the long-term effects of vaping, uh, um, not only for the users, but also for people inhaling the second-hand vape. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. It's quite a cloud. You always know when you're driving behind someone who vapes, right? It's just you just get the cloud of you get the cloud right behind. <laughs> Lovely, a heartwarming bedtime story. Oh my god, this is so cool! This- Why the children at this hospital can hardly wait for what they call the magic minute. And can Toys R Us reinvent itself? Why the world's largest toy store chain is on the verge of collapse? You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Retail giant Toys R Us files for bankruptcy protection. After the forecast, we'll tell you how the retailer plans to transform its stores to stay alive. All right, Christy Gordon joins us now with a look at our weather forecast. It's been a chilly couple of days. Some sunshine coming, though. <laughs> Yes, there is some sunshine towards the end of the week. You're exactly right. So, so we don't have to wait long. This is a great shot from uh, Trish in our uh, chopper uh, from earlier this evening. You can see how dark the clouds is are, sorry, I should say, uh, off in the distance. Definitely some showers out there. I love that shot. We're going to get more of those types of shots. All right, so here's a look at the radar imagery, and you can see why we're seeing the dark clouds. There's pockets of showers all across the region and a few very isolated uh, lightning strikes. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw a brief downpour of hail this evening and a couple of lightning strikes even across the metro Vancouver region. So keep that in mind as you head into the evening hours. I know a lot of kids out there playing soccer, so you may want to bring them inside if you do see any lightning. Uh, Vancouver Almanac shows 14 degrees as our high today, an average... 18, so we're well below that by a good 4 degrees. Some areas in the interior were a good 8 degrees below average. Overnight temperatures right where we should be at 10 degrees. The reason why we're seeing that cold air is because of this big pool that dropped down basically on Sunday, and it's continuing to settle in across the region. It's shifting slightly, uh, but we've got a jet stream that's actually driving systems south of our area one after another, and we're just catching the northern edge of it, and that's what's creating the instability across the South Coast region. We're going to continue to see this overnight and tomorrow morning before these low pressure centers drop south of our area. The next thing that we're watching is this mass of rain that actually brought snow to Edmonton today. They've got a number of rainfall warnings there and a snowfall warning for areas west of Edmonton and that's going to shift into our region tomorrow. In fact, overnight tonight bringing in significant rain to areas like Prince George and Fort St. John. That's tomorrow morning across the South Coast. So 
still a chance of showers, but much drier towards the end of the day, although the interior regions will start to see showers from that wraparound system pushing down into your region towards the end of the day tomorrow, with a risk of thunderstorms as well. So, bulk of the rainfall, Fort St. John down toward Prince George, Quinell as well, windy conditions, uh, Williams Lake will see it, over towards Valmont, down towards these areas, just a chance of showers later on in the day, so it'll develop throughout the day, whereas most of the showers here will be in the morning for the south coast, except for those of you out in the Fraser Valley, you still have a chance of showers even in the afternoon hours tomorrow. As Sophie mentioned, there's your sunny days. Thursday, Friday, we rebound nicely, and we still have a chance of showers in our forecast for the weekend. Cecil Acrid celebrating 100 years, and Barbara Stothers also 100 years today, and celebrating 70 years together. Connie and Mick Proctor, congratulations to you both. And our weather window from Mark Schroeder. This is a Shushwap Lake. Beautiful shot with a shower off in the distance there. Well, let's hope he's got a big mm-hmm. lake trout on the line there. Mm-hmm. Cool. Thank you very much, Christy. Well, as expected, Toys R Us has filed for bankruptcy protection in Canada one day after doing the same thing in the U.S. The stores will stay open for now as the company struggles with the same problems facing retailers of all stripes. Here you go. Thanks. The biggest toy store chain in the world. I'm a Toys R Us kid. Now facing a very grown-up problem, filing for bankruptcy and $5 billion in long-term debt as foot traffic slows down in its nearly 900 U.S. stores. The bankruptcy filing comes as online giant Amazon continues its retail conquest, beating out Toys R Us, Walmart, Target, and dollar stores to become the top toy seller in the U.S. This is a challenge Toys R Us is having along with a lot of bricks and mortar. It's a lot of competition right now from the digital world. And they're feeling it. In addition to investing more in online sales, Toys R Us says it will keep stores open this holiday season and change the experience, transforming stores into interactive spaces for parties, live product demonstrations, and a place where kids can unbox toys and test them out. That personal touch is what helps independent toy store Miracle Mile thrive. Retail is about connections, personal connections at this point. You can get all the selection in the world online. What you get in store is a personal experience where it's tailored to your child's specific interests and needs. Putting customers at the center of the shopping experience, online and off. Jolene Kent, NBC News, Los Angeles. Give the kids a stick and shove them outside, that's what I say. <laughs> store there is always seems busy when I go in there, but that's because it's Christmas Eve, so. <laughs> that's the only time you're ever in there. It's a very good auntie. That's right. All right. London Drugs is very good on Christmas Eve. Yeah, yeah. Shoppers. Exactly. Yes. 7-Eleven. People really enjoy gifts. What you got? Um, yes, what do I got? Um, the Canucks were on the ice in China, spreading the game to new fans. Time you can spread you know, knowledge of hockey around the world, it's... It's a great opportunity. I wonder if that says we are all Canucks and Mandarin. We'll show how the team was in a bit of a fog at practice today, and we do mean fog. Oh, not just jet lag. <laughs> okay, also tonight, the community bedtime ritual that leaves these kids beaming. Oh my god, this is so cool. So it, it does say. It does say we, we are, are all Canucks. Canucks. Now say it in Mandarin. <laughs> something, 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 Canucks. <laughs> Good what? job. Give it to me. Oh, no. Omen Dosha Canucks. Was I close? Omen Dosha Canucks. Tell, explain who you're talking to. Jeff, up in the control room. He knows his Mandarin. He knows his Mandarin. He does. He's the one who noticed the sign was right. Uh, okay. The uh, Canucks and the LA Kings are in Shanghai for their exhibition game on Thursday. Then they go to Beijing Saturday. 
And the Canucks were in a bit of a fog at practice, and it wasn't because they were jet-lagged and not used to the time zone. They were literally in a fog. It looked like at the rink they had had a 4.20 event just hours before the Canucks arrived. The fog was actually worse until the players started skating around, but even then, it was hard for goalies Jacob Markstrom and Anders Nilsson to see each other at the other end of the ice. But the idea is to sell the game and teach the game to a very large untapped hockey market, one that'll host the Winter Games in five years and has to ice an Olympic hockey team when 2022 rolls around. It has to start with, with kids growing up and wanting to, to play the sports. So if you have a good, uh, good kids program, you're going to get good, good players out of it. And that's, uh, that's how Sweden, Russia, all the European countries are built, their, their programs, and same in, in Canada and, and the States. So that's, that's the key. Omen Dosha Canucks. In recent years, the Vancouver Canucks have not been afraid to give young defensemen a spot with the varsity team. Ben Hutton and Troy Stetzer both got to Vancouver much faster than anyone could have imagined. But we are not sure if the same thing will happen with Ole Olevi make that. He wants to go from junior right to the NHL. But the more likely route might be another year of junior or perhaps a year in Europe since he is too young to play in the American Hockey League. You kind of get the sense that the Canucks are trying to dial down any Ole Yolevi hype that might still exist across Canuck Nation. Defensemen take longer to develop than forwards do. Like he's, you know, from when we drafted him, and I know that we drafted him high, but we're going to have to be patient with him. But, you know, he's got the skill set and the hockey sense to, you know, if when we're patient with him, he's going to turn out to be a real good player for us. If you just went by stats, and I know that doesn't tell you the whole story, but what it does tell you is that Yolevi did not get better from his first year in junior to his second year. He had pretty much the same stats in year two with the London Knights. And his Young Stars tournament this year wasn't impressive either. You always have good and bad games, and sometimes sometimes you, you look really good, and, and if you make flashy plays, sometimes you might look better than you actually are. And, but it's just, uh, I know I need to be better, and that's the thing, and I'm, uh, I'm working hard every day. The Canucks' new minor league coach, Trent Cole, is another of those who is saying that Yolevi's ETA is yet to be determined, and there is no point rushing him onto the big stage when he doesn't know his part yet. Uh, Ole, you know, is still moving pucks well. He's learning how to play against bigger, stronger guys in a pace of game that he's probably not used to playing. So, um... It's, it's a huge adjustment, I think. So I don't think we can be too critical on a kid who's, who's just a kid, just because of where he was probably drafted, I guess you'd say. Last week, the news from the BC Lions was all about losing a main player in Travis Lule. This week, the news is all about getting one back in defensive lineman Alex Bassey. He returned to the Lions after a summer in Arizona. I wanted to put myself and my family in the best situation where I could showcase my talent and at the same time I'll be happy doing that. And I felt like BC was the best fit and um, it, was just, it just felt great to come back and be able to catch up with the guys and just get to work. And there's plenty of work to be done in the den. After a failed NFL tryout, Alex Bazza returns to a BC Lions squad that could use his pass rushing skills. Only Montreal's recorded fewer sacks this season than BC's 18. Craig Rowe gets there. You know, obviously we felt, you know, that he could give us a shot in the arm uh, defensively. You know, we've played some good football, but getting a player like Alex and 
you know, uh, he feels good about where he's at with his game. And, you know, one of the things we can uh, do is uh, put more pressure on the quarterback, and he can do that for us. A year ago, Bazzi tied for the CFL lead in sacks on a Leo's team that had no problem swarming the quarterback. Leo's collaring up the second most sacks in 2016. But a year later, it's a completely different story. So can one guy make a world of difference? We're about to find out. Bazzi's ready to go and will suit up for Friday's game when BC hosts Hamilton. For me being over there in the NFL, I had a longer period of time to continue to work and have off-season training. So my craft has gotten better, and um, I, can't, I just can't wait to kind of you know, put it to test in these games and, and, and see how you know, it, it's going to help me out. That's fair. It's an Aaron fair. Judge fan, can you Sorry. tell? Yankees and Twins, they both hold a wild card spot right now in the American League. The Twins, though, wild card spot is a bit more tentative than the Yankees. Max Kepler with the home run here to give New York or make that Minnesota 2-1 lead. But the Yankees have taken the lead back 3-2 in the fourth. There you go. All right, thanks, Squire. You're welcome. Checking out with Jay Durant uh, for a preview of Global News at 11. Jay. Thank you, Chris. The number of dead continues to climb in Mexico City after a powerful earthquake rocked the region. At least 140 confirmed now. Tonight, we'll hear from a Vancouver man who survived Mexico City's 1985 earthquake, which, as we mentioned before, was being marked today. What he's hearing from his family and friends will also be speaking with a seismologist on why Mexico has had back-to-back earthquakes. Today's quake coming less than two weeks after a magnitude 8.1 struck the country. That story and much more coming up tonight at 11. We'll be watching. All right. Thanks, Jay. When the lights, when lights out actually means lights on. How a community is brightening the days and nights of some special kids. Next. Coming up on ET Canada, Harrison Ford and Ryan Gosling tee up Blade Runner 2049. And then it's whips, ropes, and Elton John in London. Plus, notorious flirt Gene Simmons gives me marriage advice. No, really, he does. That's all coming up at 7 right after the news hour. But for now, it's back to you, Chris and Sophie. All right, Cheryl, thanks thanks very much. Very summary, looking very summary this evening. Yeah, actually, look good. All right, for children's hospitals around the world, it's a constant challenge. Not just healing sick kids, but making their hospitals stay a little more tolerable. In Providence, Rhode Island, a nightly ritual doesn't just make the children feel better, it brings the community together. Just before bedtime at the Hasbro Children's Hospital. Excuse me? And up on the fifth floor, the air is electric. The magic minute. The magic, is that what they call it? Yeah. The kids, flashlights in hand, are ready for a daily ritual. Good night lights. Everyone wants to be a part of it. Okay, it's time. All right, guys, turn them on. Across the way, lights begin to flicker. Oh, my God, this is so cool. As if with magical Morse code. See the lights flashing back? Residents, businesses, even the police and fire departments are saying good night. It's really turned into quite the uh, community night. And the kids are beaming right back. It's amazing. Ten-year-old Abby Waldron is winning her fight with cancer. Every time you go to bed, you know that people are saying, like, goodnight to you and, like, caring about you. Her mom, Amy, says she feels the positive energy of the lights. After those yucky days, the hard days, you get yourself to that window at 8.30, um, and you have that little piece of happiness. And it's, you cannot help but put a smile on your face. Steve Brosnahan entertains as the hospital's resident cartoonist. He came up with the bright idea. This experience of seeing a whole community of people 
supporting the hospital. them. Yeah, then I think that's a memory that they're going to hang on to a little tighter. You can signal back to them. Uh -huh, okay. You know, sometimes show some love too. <laughs> Khalid Hantash knows he's not fighting alone. They take time out of their day to do something so little, but that's so meaningful. When they're facing life's darkest moments, simply shine a light and say good night. Kevin Tibbles, NBC News, Providence, Rhode Island. That's that is awesome. That's great. I wonder if they'll do the same thing along Oak there outside BC Children's that Hospital. That would be a good idea. I mean, that'd be pretty cool. Mm -hmm. uh, okay, watching a couple of things down in the uh, Caribbean, obviously, but uh, around mm -hmm. here we're waiting for we're waiting for a little return. Of summer, <laughs> yeah. So we officially change over to fall uh, on Friday. So uh, it may feel a little bit more seasonal on Friday. We do have showers to get through uh, this evening and into tomorrow morning. Keep in mind, you still have a risk of thunderstorms. So don't be surprised if you hear a little rumble of thunder. And then Thursday, Friday looking pretty nice. And there's still a lot of uncertainty around.